I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Welcome back to Practical Stoicism. I'm your host, Tanner Campbell, and I hope not too many of you have switched to Soylent Green after Eric's episode on cannibalism. I have no control over him, folks, and I'm so sorry. But it was a good episode, I thought. If you haven't heard the latest Practical Cynicism segment, which went live yesterday, I suggest you listen. It is, as usual, educational, funny, and useful. Today we are covering Meditation 39 from Book 4, a book we should be finishing by the end of next week and which will find us jumping into Book 1, because I think Marcus's thank yous in that first book now makes sense for us to explore. But today's meditation is potentially the deepest and therefore most difficult meditation we've come across so far. We've talked about externals and the idea of indifference before, and you may think you understand these things, but this meditation is going to put that to the test. Here it is. What is evil to thee does not subsist in the ruling principle of another, nor yet in any turning and mutation of thy corporeal covering. Where is it then? Is it in that part of thee in which subsists the power of forming opinions about evils? Let this power then not form such opinions, and all is well. And if that which is nearest to it, the poor body, is burnt, filled with matter and rottenness, Nevertheless, let the part which forms opinions about these things be quiet. That is, let it judge that nothing is either bad or good, which can happen equally to the bad man and the good man. For that which happens equally to him who lives contrary to nature and to him who lives according to nature is neither according to nature nor contrary to nature. So we're starting out with what seems to be a simple statement. What is evil to thee? does not subsist in, and we think Marcus is going to say, in anything external. But that's not what he says. He says, in the ruling principle of another. Okay, well, hold on. Pump the brakes, Marky baby. What are you talking about? Isn't evil anything that does damage to our virtue, corrupts it or prevents it? And doesn't that happen in the ruling principle of individuals? So if it doesn't live there, where does it live? Well, actually, it does live there. But Marcus isn't wrong. He's telling you it doesn't exist there. And you can't see me right now, but I'm pointing vaguely in the direction of other people. It exists here, and now I'm pointing to my own head. You know that another person cannot make you think, 
act, or behave in a persistingly inappropriate way. And I say persistingly here, or persisting, because I can make you think about a giraffe on roller skates, which I just did, but I can't take over your thinking faculty in a persistent way. And I can push you, which will make you stumble, but I can't take over your actions in a persistent way. I can slap you in the face, and this may alter your attitude for a moment, but I can't take over your attitude in a persistent way. So if another person cannot make you think, act, or possess an attitude of an inappropriate sort, how can a person's thoughts, actions, or attitudes be evil to you? To you is the operative phrasing here. The evil of another is only evil because it affects them. All evil, as I have said on this program before, is relative to the person having the inappropriate thoughts, or performing the inappropriate actions, or expressing the inappropriate attitudes. Evil doesn't exist beyond the self. That's perhaps one of the biggest points of Stoicism, maybe the biggest point. Now I can hear you saying, but Hitler, nope, not even that guy. His evil, according to the Stoic rationale, was limited to him. The effects that his evil resulted in, those things we know well, were not evils, again, according to the Stoics, because those things could not harm another person's virtue or prevent them from developing it. Because no matter what you do to another human being, they retain the ability to be virtuous in their circumstances. Now, there is probably some room for argument here, right? If someone has their faculty physically damaged in such a way that they can no longer use their faculty, for example, if you get someone drunk, or if you hit someone so many times in the head that they become essentially an invalid, in those circumstances, you've taken away a person's ability to pursue virtue. So you've almost nullified them, which is a terrible thing to do. I think I've talked about this on the show before. But if someone punches you in the face or locks you up or tries to starve you to death, those are all things that someone is doing to you. But those things do not prevent you from developing a virtuous character. The development of a virtuous character is still in your control. As an example, I hope is taken well. If I step in front of someone in an effort to protect them, and someone says, move, or I'll shoot you too, my decision that follows is controlled not at all by the individual threatening me to get to that someone else. My decision rests only with me. And if that person shoots me dead, they may have killed me, but no evil occurred relative to my own virtue. I was not, as the Stoics would say, since virtue is the only good and the only real harm is harm of the virtue, harm of the character, harmed. I died unharmed. Stoicism really is aiming to make you invulnerable in a way. If you are able to do the right thing, no matter the external, you are Superman or Superwoman, or Scrappy-Doo. You can't be hurt. That's what the Stoics are trying to get through to us, that we cannot be hurt by anyone but ourselves. Because guess what? In that same situation, if I had stepped aside and allowed that other person to be shot dead, I may not have been physically impacted by the wrongdoer, but I would have been seriously hurt because I valued my living life more than my character, more than my virtue, and I therefore had no virtue. I acted in poor character. If Stoicism is trying to teach us anything, it is trying to teach us that only our virtue matters and that acting in alignment with that belief is the best way to live a life that means something. You might die protecting someone or standing up to a tyrant, or you might contract a terribly painful disease as a nurse, 
EMT, or surgeon working under unideal circumstances in order to save a life. But that doesn't matter. What matters is that you acted appropriately in trying to save that life. Now, I know a lot of young people listen to this show, and I will promise you that as you get older, your focus on becoming a good person and discovering exactly what that means will become more and more important to you. Life is not about pleasure. It never has been. And people who live that way, if they live that way right up until the end, usually have a lot of regrets. And they've usually contributed very little to those around them, to their communities, to their countries, to their fellow earthlings. And when you're 90, if you're lucky enough to reach that age, and you're looking out at the last few months or years of your life, it's not too late to change, but it very well may feel like it by then. There is nothing more important in life than developing your own virtue, your own character, because from that springs everything you think in your head right now that the world needs in order to be the world you wish it was. Being cool, having an iPhone, getting that thing you think you want in the shop window, finding the perfect apartment, getting the best job, none of that really matters. And it takes a long time to figure this out. I think I'm fortunate in that I feel like I've figured it out earlier than most people do. And I'm hoping that I'm helping you, younger people listening, to figure it out even sooner than that. And it's true that some of those things I mentioned, finding the perfect iPhone, finding the best job, may be preferred indifference. But I would be very careful if I were you in assessing what you think is simply a preferred indifferent and what sort of thing more easily enables you to avoid the hard work of developing a virtuous character. I think what probably led to the idea that Stoicism is a solitary philosophy, which it's not, is the fact that one has to pay so much attention to oneself in order to properly assess the appropriateness of their agency or their actions in the world that, yes, we do tend to turn down invites to parties. Yes, we do tend to be less gregarious. Yes, we do seem to be a bit more serious than other people. But that's because we don't throw our words, actions, or attitudes around like they don't mean something important. And look at the world. Look at the things that exist in it. Look at reality television, the oft-given example of totally useless entertainment. Look how successful it is. It's so successful that it's the most common form of television entertainment next to the news. And it's people watching other people for the pure entertainment value of judging their behavior, for better or for worse, as the viewer's behavior becomes that of a person who spends hours a day judging the behavior of others. And I'll just come out and ask it, is that not absolutely insane? But still, it's not the reality TV that's evil. It's you. It's your thoughts, attitudes, and actions. It's you wasting your life and ignoring the development of your character to watch that reality TV. It's not the television's fault that you watch it. The only evil thing going on isn't over there. It's in here. It's in your head. It's in your faculty. We don't have to let the things aimed at us by others, be that the entertainment industry or individuals or our families or our friends, inform how we live. But Tanner... You're doing that right now. You're trying to inform us how to live with this very podcast. Yeah, I am. And I hope to goodness that you find more value in it than below deck. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode of Practical Stoicism. I have two things I'd like to ask you to do this week. Go to stoicismpod.com forward slash ask and submit some questions for upcoming episodes. If you're curious about things, I want to answer your questions. And secondly, consider joining our new 365-day journaling program. You can find out more at journaling.stoicismpod.com. Links in the show notes. Until next time, take care. Take care.